we desire to just right now just take in the word of God and these songs of ascents, Lord, they're very special. And I pray that um, there would be a special touching of our hearts with your word tonight. And Lord, um, we do. We uh, as we enter into this is a, a special time of the year uh, where there's been graduations and school is ending and people are traveling and uh, it's Memorial Weekend, a holiday weekend. And Lord, we do remember those who lay down the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Um, you have blessed this nation. Um, and one of the things that we're very grateful for is for those who uh, were willing to serve our nation and to um, defend our nation. And we're very thankful for, um, Lord, your hand upon us. And Lord, for those who are willing to uh, to lay down their lives for for our way of living and and for our country, we remember those who are serving presently. I I think of um, as Jerry and Eileen are heading down to Texas right now to see Joe, who's in the army. Uh, we just ask that you bless them, and um, Jason Reynolds, who's been in the Marines, who, uh, who grew up in this church and. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for all of them. And Lord, I pray for our nation that, uh, oh Lord, how we need revival. How we need to recognize that, that you have blessed us indeed. And, and, it, and Lord, we're getting further away from you. But Lord, we are here to pray and lift up our nation and our leaders to you. And uh, Lord, we can be frustrated, we can be concerned, but Lord, we just commit all this to you for you to do a work. And I pray that you would use this church, Calvary Chapel Greeley, in our community and in this state, however you want to use us to, to reach um, others with the gospel. With the Vacation Bible School coming up, we pray. I thank you for those who are working so hard and um, ministering and, and uh, getting ready and uh, the volunteers and people bringing snacks and other things uh, that uh, are needed for uh, three days of, of park outreach. And Lord, I pray it be fruitful and that kids would come to know Jesus and, and as a result, parents and families. And Lord, that truly we'd be a light. And Father, I do pray for the high schoolers that are getting ready to go on this mission trip as they've worked hard in, in um, raising funds. And I thank you for those who have supported them because the fruit that comes from them uh, will go to the account of those who have invested in those kids in time and caring. I thank you for this, this church that really cares for them going and being supportive. And Lord, uh, we pray that you prepare their hearts, that they, there would be a coming together truly uh, in uh, expectation that you want to work and that you're going to work through them as they go up to Montana. Father, I pray that as Jesse is loading a plane right now to come back from Jordan, that you bring him back uh, safely to us um, tomorrow and, and that we look forward to a good report. So we are grateful for the work that you're doing. And, and Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Um, it's so easy to get distracted, so easy to drift away, it's so easy to, um, Lord, just begin to get our focus on other things. But right now we want to focus on you and your word speaking to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So in Psalm 131, as you recall in the section of Psalm 120 to 134, is the songs of the ascents, or those psalms that 
the pilgrims, the worshipers, as they came up to Jerusalem during the major feast, uh, the feast of Passover in the spring, and then early summer was Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And then in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would come up with excitement. They would come to Jerusalem traveling from all over Israel and, and sometimes even from all over the known world. And it was a very special time for them to come to Jerusalem, to God's holy city, to come to the temple, to, to be a part of the, the temple worship and sacrifices and all that was uh, taking place during the time of the feast. And these are the psalms that they would sing as they came up to Jerusalem. So they're very special. And as we've looked at these 15 psalms, or are looking at them, and we'll finish tonight, that four of them were written by David, one by Solomon, and then 10 of them are anonymous. And here in Psalm 131, this is a song of ascents of David. It's a short one, only three verses long. And we read that, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So here David, as he, he writes this, this short psalm here, I think that this is a psalm that speaks of maturity because in verse 1, he's saying, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. And he says some things that are, to me, amazing because here is David. David, uh, during his reign, was uh, a very well-known man. He was uh, the greatest king that Israel ever had, even though David was one that went through his own difficulties and, and, uh, and went through his own trials. David was a king that was well-respected and defeated his enemies all around him. And he could have very easily become very prideful, very haughty, but he was, as we have seen, going through these psalms that David penned, was humbled before the Lord. And so the first mark of real maturity for any of us in our Christian lives is one is humility. To be humbled before the Lord, not to be full of pride and arrogance. He says, my hot heart, that is, is not haughty. Uh, in other words, as he's speaking here, being proud. He knew that what the Lord had done in his life was because of the grace and mercy of God, that God's hand was upon him, and he was always very thankful for that, as we've seen very clearly going through these psalms. So he didn't have a proud heart. His eyes weren't lofty. As, uh, that literally means arrogant. And, and neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. So in other words, what David is saying here, I'm not in uh, a know-it-all attitude. I, I'm not trying to get it all figured out. I'm not getting into um, you know, uh, business or somebody else's business that I shouldn't be or uh, getting my hands into everything. So he was one that was very thankful to the Lord. He was humbled before the Lord. And that's a mark of characteristics. And I think that the best definition of humility is given to us there in the Philippians chapter 2 is uh, that we are to do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. So not to be selfish, self-centered, not to be conceited, and looking out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others, that we're to esteem others better than ourselves. You see, society says that we are to be so focused on self. 
to esteem self. But the Bible says that we're to be other esteemed. That is that we are to esteem others and think of others and looking out not only for our own interests, of course we do that, but for the interests of others as well. And so the ultimate example of humility is given to us in Philippians chapter 2 as Jesus came to this world and he was obedient as he was a bondservant, obedient to death, the death on a cross, and now he is highly exalted that that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. So humility is very important for us. And I like what, I've always kind of liked what Paul wrote to uh, the church at Thessalonica, and it reminds me a little bit here as, as David is saying, you know, I don't have a proud heart. I don't want to have, you know, an arrogant look. I, I don't concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. I is getting into others' business that I shouldn't. And, and, and I know that Paul would write that for us, that the way that we are to live is that we are to work with our hands, uh, lead a quiet life, and mind your own business is what he says. And that's what this reminds me of. Sometimes, you know, especially today, we think that we have to get into everybody's business and be a know-it-all and know everybody's business rather than just being humble before the Lord. We have no reason to boast in our salvation, do we? And Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have no reason to boast in our salvation. And anything that the Lord has done in our lives that is good and fruitful and lasting, it's because of his hand being on us. So be humble before the Lord is the first characteristic of of a a mature Christian. And then in verse 2, the second thing is not only being humble before God, but then rest in God. And it's interesting that David writes, surely have calmed and quieted my soul uh, like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So as he talks about a calm soul and spirit, a quieted spirit, and I think that uh, a mature Christian has that. Just a calmness and an assurance that God is working, that he's my Lord, that uh, I can rest in him. And that's one of the things that I know that the Lord's still working more and more in my life, not only to trust in him, but to rest in him and rest in what he's doing in my life, to have that calm and quiet spirit. And what is interesting here is I was thinking about this and and considering it, that he uses the example of a weaned child with his mother, a a child that's no longer nursing. And, And I think, well, how is that related to a calm and quiet spirit? Well, any of us that have had children, we know that when they're nursing, that when they want to be fed, they want to be fed right away, right? They holler, they scream, and, and, you know, a weaned child is not demanding and fussy and wanting to be held all the time. We expect that from a baby that is nursing. We expect them to want to be held and and want to be fed right away and to be, uh, you know, fussy and crying and demanding and all of this. That's just part uh, of being uh, one that nurses from their mom. But when they're weaned, they're kind of away from that. And you see, it's like David is saying, as, as we are mature, it's like a weaned child, we shouldn't be fussy and demanding and manipulating and, and uh, all of this, but just a quiet spirit that is within us. I think that in the book of Hebrews, as you end chapter 5, that the author of Hebrews really touches on this. And many of you know the text, how the author of Hebrews, he's talking to those first century Christians, and he says, at a time that you should be mature. 
at a time that you should be eating solid food, you're still dribbling in milk. You're, you're drinking milk and, and, and you're not going on to the solid food. And, and it really is sad when Christians year after year, and there are some that just really don't grow in the Lord. They're not growing in the word of God. They're not growing in their walk. They're not growing as, as ones who are committed to the Lord. They're just kind of stagnant or they stay in that infant stage. They're still dribbling milk. And we are to be ones that we desire to grow and mature in the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. So maturity takes on being humble before the Lord, that we're resting in Him, that, Lord, I don't have to be fussing at you and demanding and and all of this, but just rest in you that you're working in my life and I can have a calm and quiet uh, spirit, uh, soul, because I know that I can trust you with everything that's going on. And then thirdly, our hope is in the Lord. And he is our only hope. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And, and I hope that and, and pray that we're understanding that he is our hope, period. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in ourselves. The hope that we have, the living hope, and true hope that we have is in Christ Jesus alone. And that's what David is reiterating. So a mature Christian has these three characteristics. Humility before the Lord, resting in the Lord, and our hope is in him, in the Lord, in him alone. And so David, writing this short psalm, but very important psalm. And then in Psalm 132, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. David had a king-size bed. And I will not give sleep to the eyes. I just want to see if you're still with me. So, Or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And as you read Second Samuel chapters 6 and 7, the psalmist is touching on those two chapters of David's life. They were, really were the, the height uh, spiritually of his reign. And in chapter 6, we know that David would go to Kirjath-Jerim, about uh, 20 miles from the city of David, from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem. And David really is wanting to establish Jerusalem as a central place of worship. And so what happens is he would bring the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath-Jerim. Remember that during the days of Saul, even before Saul, that the Ark of the Covenant, as you read 1 Samuel, was captured by the Philistines and through a series of events that I won't go through and tell you about, that he ended up in Kirjath-Jerim. And there it stayed there for years. And as it's there for years, Saul was one that neglected the Ark of the Covenant being there. You know, one of the questions that somebody asked, a very good question is, and perhaps you've thought of this uh, in your own Bible reading, is um, because I've been asked this actually a couple times in the last few months, that um, the question is, why does it seem like that, that the Lord was so hard on David or so hard on Saul? Saul and I'll get it right. Um, he was hard on Saul, 
You know, he would say, Saul, Samuel said to him, the Lord has rejected you. When Saul came back from the battle against the Amalekites, you remember uh, there in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and he came back and he was to destroy all the Amalekites. And he came back with the best of the ox oxen and he came back with Agai, the king of the Amalekites. And, and it was Saul that said, I've done all that the Lord commanded me. And it was then um, Samuel that said, no, you have not been obedient and the Lord has rejected you and is going to give the kingdom to a man after God's own heart. So it seemed like that, man, the Lord was really hard on Saul at that time. And here is David. When you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, he commits adultery and murder. And yet the Lord, you know, would allow him to continue to be the king. And the difference is this, that Saul, even though he started out humble, he didn't have a real heart for the Lord. It really shows as you progress through 1 Samuel. And in that 1 Samuel chapter 15, when he went against the Amalekites, he did not obey what the Lord had said in destroying all the Amalekites and all the oxen and sheep. But he brought the sheep and the oxen back to sacrifice to puff himself up. He had already set up an image in Carmel of himself, it says, a monument to himself. Hey, look how great I am. I defeated the Amalekites. And then when Samuel called him, and there already had been problems with Saul, he had already offered unlawful sacrifices. He wasn't supposed to do that. That was something the priest did. And Saul became more uh, to where he wanted to look good before the people. And we know that as it was Samuel that rebuked him, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And it was like Saul was saying, why are you so uptight? You know, I, I just brought the sheep and oxen to sacrifice. You know, bless me before the people. And what he's saying is, is you know what, Samuel, quit being so hard-nosed and bless me before the people so I look good, you know. So that's why he didn't really have a heart after God. David, when he repented, he was humble before the Lord and he had a heart after God. And we've seen in these Psalms, even in those Psalms that are written when he sinned with Bathsheba, the brokenness of heart. You see, Saul never wrote a Psalm. Have you noticed that? There's not one Psalm here written by Saul. So he was one that really looked to himself and wanted to build himself up. And we need to be careful. That's why David is so important for us to note that he says, I don't want to have an arrogant heart. I don't want to have a proud look. I don't want to be haughty. I don't want to be into everybody's business and, and ruling over with a heavy hand and being involved in manners that I really shouldn't be. There's so many things that can take us away from the Lord as, as the world tells us that we are to, you know, exert ourselves and be number one and all of this. And we need to be humble before the Lord. And here David, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant, Saul, he wasn't concerned about the spiritual condition of the nation. And he was so consumed about pursuing David that the Ark of the Covenant stayed in Kirjath-Jerim. So after David becomes the king, what he does is he brings the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath-Jerim about 20 miles to Jerusalem, to the city of David. He puts it in a tent. And here is David. He's in his palace. He's looking out the window. And he sees the Ark of the Covenant. You know, where God dwelt between the cherubim. And he's concerned about that. And he says that here I am in the comfort of my own bed. And, and I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to, to slumber until you have a resting place. In other words, 
That's where he had a great desire that he wanted to please God and build God a temple. Now, you know the story that Nathan would come to David and said that the Lord said that you're not going to build the temple, David, that you have bloody hands. You're a man of war. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple. But here's the thing that David had such a heart for the Lord. That he wanted to build a temple. And David at that time, he didn't say, oh, well, you know, um, I guess I won't do anything. But David did what he could do. And David, as you go through First Chronicles, as the Lord came to him and gave him the plans of the temple, he drew up the plans. He would then divide the priests and the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the, you know, the military. He got everything ready. The spoils that he took from uh, the enemies that he defeated, the gold and the silver, he brought to be used for building materials for, you know, to overlay the temple. Because the temple, when you read how Solomon built it, there was a lot of gold that was used. And also he made, you know, a, a covenant with Hiram, the king of Tyre up north. He witnessed to him. You see that very clearly as Solomon writes a letter to him and said, my father David told you about the Lord and how the Lord was working. And so David got things prepared and he was working and, and he was praying and he was seeking the Lord. So when the next generation came along, that then the temple would be built. You know, one of the things that the Lord's really put on my heart as we get to the 20th anniversary, again, thanking the Lord for what he has done, but looking forward to what he wants to do. And I think that it's really important, and I've been kind of stressing this a little bit, but it's something that the Lord's been stressing to me, so I want to share it with you, that we want to also have that same mindset of we want to continue on preparing for what the Lord has for us and for the next generation. We don't want to forget about them. So that's why I'm very excited about those who are, you know, really working and, and Heather and Angie and Melissa and Deb, you know, coming in and getting ready and, and, and letting people know and stuffing envelopes and preparing. That blesses my heart. Because they're thinking about the next generation, our kids that need Jesus, that are the future of the church. I think a healthy church is a church that has uh, elderly, the older, more mature is what I should say. And, and then the younger people as well. It's a good balance. And it's the older that you have wisdom to share. And you have things and benefits to give to the younger. And the younger, they bring life and excitement and I'm looking forward to whatever the Lord has for my ministry. But I know this, that I know I'm not going to last forever here. And whatever the Lord has for me as he tarries the years left, whether it's five years, 10 years, another 20 years, I don't know. That I want to make sure that we are discipling, that we're getting the younger generation ready because we're going to pass the baton on to them. And I have seen and I've mentioned this to where churches end up dying because this is the way it is. And this is our church. And, and this, you know, uh, and we, they grow and they forget about the younger generation and they end up dying. This isn't my church. You know, as, as we celebrate 20 years, this is the Lord's church. And it isn't about me. And it isn't, you know, 
uh, our youth group. It's the Lord's youth group. It isn't our young adults. It's the Lord's young adults. Or it, this is our lady study. It's the Lord's lady study. You see what I mean? And it all belongs to the Lord. And the Lord wants to do so much. And that's why I really believe that we're just beginning, that the best is yet to come. But we want to keep focus on moving forward. We don't want to get complacent. I think the greatest danger to Calvary Chapel Greeley is if we get complacent. And we're not praying. And we're not remembering the day in which we're living in. And that is we have the privilege of ministering in the days in which we are in, dark days, to this generation that needs Jesus Christ. And it's getting darker. Just as Paul said, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. It is going to be perilous times in the last days. In the latter days, people are going to depart from the faith. And they're going to be given you know, over to itchy ears and, and doctrines of demons. And we're seeing that. And we have the privilege to be a light that is up on a hill, to be a light to this community, to this county, to this state, even to different parts of the world. And we need to be in prayer. We need to be discipling. We need to, you know, be ministering to our young people, to the kids and to the youth kids and to the young adults. And then those of us who are older, you've got so much to give. So much wisdom and insight. And I love what the Lord is doing here. But let's not get comfortable. And David looked out and he said, you know what? I've been so busy building my own palace that the Lord, there he is in a tent. And I want to be about having a place for him that he is glorified and honored. And even though he got the message of that you're not going to build the temple, David. David did what he could do. And I just wonder how much that the Lord's going to allow me to do that's going to be foundational for the next generation and what he wants to do. Are we understanding? He wants to do far greater things. He wants to continue to build in the kingdom of God. He wants to bring revival. So what we do today, there's going to be fruit that's going to come tomorrow. So that excites me, just as David, man, he was busy in bringing in the supplies. So when he passed off the scene, Solomon was there. The plans were there. Everything was in order. He was able to build the temple, the magnificent temple, the glory of God being displayed and honored. And I think that the Lord wants to do that here, that what we do today, that there's going to be fruit tomorrow. And as we continue working and thinking about the future. The Lord can come back tomorrow, I know that, but occupy till he comes. Occupy till he comes. Let's keep doing it. Let's not get lazy and lethargic and sloppy and and kick back and and get our focus off the Lord. Here he's saying, man, I'm not going to sleep or slumber till my eyelids are going to come, till I find a place of the Lord. And then in verse 6, Behold, we heard it in um, Ephrathah, We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. So David, when he brought the ark of the covenant, you know the story in in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
when he brought it up from Kerjef to Jerim with the Levites carrying it on their shoulders and they would go so many paces and they would stop and they would sacrifice and then they would go so many paces and they would stop and they would sacrifice. You know how long that would take going 20 miles? It took time. It took energy. It took effort. When he got to, you know, Jerusalem, when he got to the city of David with the Ark of the Covenant, his wife, his first wife, uh, Michael, uh, the daughter of Saul, she scolded David. She said, that's not, you know, dignified of you to, to be dancing, you know, and, and celebrating like you are. You're the king. You should be embarrassed of yourself. And David rebuked her and said, you know what? The Lord gave me the kingdom, not your father. And it tells us that she was barren, didn't have any children from that day forth. And I thought, why would the Holy Spirit add that in the, the, the chapter there that she would be barren and didn't have any children? And, you know, you always think, well, God cursed her or something like that. I think there's an important lesson in that, and that is this. If we don't make worship an important part of our spiritual life, there's going to be barrenness that's going to be in our soul and in our spirit. Do you know that? If you're not a worshiper, and I know that the Lord has been really speaking to me about that. Because we can get so busy with things and we get so distracted. And I think about Mary and Martha. And remember Martha, that she's in the kitchen there and we're going to see in Luke's gospel and she's busy. And, and there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's going, tell you know, my sister to get in here and help me. And it was Jesus that said, oh, Martha, Martha. You're distracted by so many things. Mary has picked a better part. Jesus didn't say what you're doing, Martha, is wrong or it's not good. But Mary has picked the better part. Later on in Jesus' ministry, right before he goes to the cross, we go to John's gospel and we see that he raises Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you know, a family. He raises Lazarus from the grave and Lazarus is, is alive and he's there in the home in chapter 12 as you open it. And there's Mary and there's Martha that's serving and you just picture a, a calmness because in chapter 11, when Jesus came and they told him that Lazarus is dead, that it was Martha that went out and worshipped him and spoke to him before Mary. And I think Martha learned to be a worshiper as well. We know that Mary was a very special worshiper and anointed Jesus in chapter 12. But Martha learned that. And as she's serving in chapter 12, there's a calmness that's there. There's just peace that's in the home. You picture it uh, as you read that text. And I know for me in my life that when I first started ministry, it was like work, work, serve, work. Man, I'm going to work, work, work. Part of it is because I didn't know what I was doing. Trying to figure everything out. Still trying to figure things out in a lot of ways. And I thought, I've got to serve and I've got to work. And I know that there have been times in my ministry that I've missed out on the better part. And being a worshiper. And just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's in those times of busyness that there's a barrenness and a dryness that happens. You know what I mean? Because I haven't really stopped and worshipped. And the quietness of my heart, in the quietness of of my day 
Because I'm busy from the time I get up, I'm going till the time I go to bed. And, you know, the Lord has spoken to me and said, Jeff, I'm not so concerned about your busyness. Don't forget about the better part of really knowing me and worshiping me. So I know for me personally, there are some things that the Lord, you know, speaking to me that, you know, can can take up my time that I'm just putting aside. Just putting aside for the summer, for right now, and just, you know, I want to spend time with you, Lord. I just want to know you. And yes, I'm going to be serving. I'm not going to be working. But I want to be more like this, a worshiper. So David here, bringing the Ark of the Covenant, he would bring it up from Kirt Jephthah to Jerusalem, a great celebration. In verse 10, for your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. And we know that even though David was told you're not going to build the temple, uh, we, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the promise is given to you. But David, God's going to establish your throne. And from your throne... From your line is going to come the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to sit upon the throne of David. It's going to be established forever. And David, oh, he worshipped the Lord. He was so overwhelmed. And so here, do not turn away the face of your anointed. It means commission one. Speaking of Messiah. And then the Lord has sworn in truth to David, verse 11. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant... In my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. And for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. And this is my resting place forever. And here I will dwell, for I have desired it. So God chose Jerusalem to set his name on. And we know that when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land, that the Lord told them, listen, you just don't sacrifice anywhere. Don't be like, you know, the Canaanites that have the wooden, you know, uh, groves and the high places and go up and sacrifice in all the different places. You're going to go to the prescribed place to go and sacrifice. That's where the tabernacle was at Shiloh for many years and then eventually at Gibeah. And then David would uh, prepare for the temple and Solomon built the temple. So that's where they would come for sacrifice and worship. And it was Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem. And, and those of you who've been Jerusalem or you've seen pictures of it, Jerusalem wasn't chosen because it's special. In other words, it isn't, you know, beautiful mountains and a, uh, or a, a river that flows by. It's, 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 you know, not in a beautiful, uh, you know, a beach scene or something by an ocean. Uh, Jerusalem is just kind of hills and there's a lot of rocks, a lot of rocks that are there. But Jerusalem wasn't chosen because it's special. It's special because it was chosen. And for whatever reason, the Lord said, that is the place that his name is going to dwell and be set on. And they will come and they will worship him. That's where his presence is going to be. You know, the Lord, he didn't choose us because we're so special. He didn't say, Jeff, you know, you're so together and you're so smart and and." you know, intelligent and strong and good-looking and all this stuff that I'm going to choose you. There's none of that. Matter of fact, Paul sets the record straight in when he was talking to the Corinthians who were all into that, all into appearance and speech and intellect and philosophy. He says, listen, God has chosen the foolish things of the world 
and the weak things of the world, to found the, you know, the wise and put down the strong and the things that are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence. He's chosen us because we are special to him. He chose us because of his love and grace. It's not because we earned it, because we're so mighty and great. We're ordinary people. It reminds me of the disciple, 12 men, fishermen and tax collector and zealots and others. They weren't the religious leaders or the religious elite from Jerusalem. They were just ordinary guys that God did an extraordinary work through. And because he desires to use the foolish and weak things of the world, that is, people like you and me, you know, he, he wants to do a very, very special, special work. We are special because he chose us. And he desires to use us in an extraordinary way. So don't sell yourself short. And I think that one of the reasons is he's had me here for 20 years to be a testimony to you that if he can use somebody like me, he can certainly use you. It should be good news for you. Yeah, if he can use Pastor Jeff, he can use anybody. And so the Lord desires to set his eyes on us and to do a marvelous work through us. And here is Jerusalem chosen. Nothing special in and of itself. God just chose it to be, you know, his resting place forever. Verse 14, here I will dwell for I have desired it and I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. And there I will make the horn of David grow and I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. Again, speaking of the Messiah and his enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his ground crown shall flourish. It's speaking that Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And I can't wait. That's our future. That's our future. We're going to come back with him. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. We're going to rule and reign with him. Isn't that a wonderful future? For me, I have to keep my eyes on the things above and on the Lord. Because it helps me in two ways. Number one, not to get too discouraged when things, you know, get hard or difficult or I'm down because it gets better. We got a wonderful future. You know, I can't wait till we're all together. We're all going to be together as a family. And I look so forward to that. Saturday night, I went over to Donnell. She has four kids that come here and and her dad, Daryl, and mom, Donna, was coming here for several months now. And Donna was in her last moments being stricken with cancer. So I was with um, Donnell and Daryl and the family and the rest of, you know, Donnell's siblings. And I was reading from Revelation chapter 4 um, to Donna and, you know, just that vision of heaven and the four living creatures and the 24 elders praising God. That's going to be us, praising God at the throne of God. And then chapter 5 talks about the new song. That's the song of the church. As we sing that new song, you know, out of every tongue, nations, peoples, and kindreds, you have redeemed us by your blood. I can't wait till we're together, having dinner with the Lord, and then we're going to come back with him. So if you get too discouraged... If you get really down, 
When things get hard, just remember it gets better. And it helps me not to get too enamored with this world. Not to get too, too you know, excited about the world. I want to serve the Lord. He is my hope. He's my priority. He's my future. So Jesus is going to come and rule and reign. And then a second of David uh, in these, this is the fourth and last of uh, the songs of the ascents in Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. That's my prayer for us. To dwell together in unity. We're living stones being fitted together in this holy habitation. We're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. We're special people unto God. But it isn't heaven. Let's keep that in mind. We're a family. And families have challenges at times. We can irritate each other once in a while. Or I can irritate you. I'll speak for myself. We're not perfect. That's what I'm saying. There's no family that's perfect. There's no church that's perfect. But may we keep in mind that the Lord's desire for us is to be dwelling together in unity, just as Paul would address the Philippian believers, there was some contention that was going on. He said, oh, that you would have one heart, one accord, striving together for the furtherance of the gospel. And that's my prayer for us, that we would move forward in unity, because if we don't have unity, we're not going to move forward. It is good to dwell together in unity and to remember that love covers a multitude of sins. And that verse doesn't mean that, hey, I'm in sin, so just love me. Don't judge me or anything. That's not what it means. It means that in this imperfect world, as imperfect people, in this imperfect church, that sometimes as we fall short or disappoint or whatever the case may be, I'm not a perfect pastor. The staff is not perfect. But love covers a multitude of sins. It's saying, you know what, we're going to work it out. And we're going to talk and we're going to forgive one another and we're going to move forward and we're going to move forward together because love covers a multitude of sins. We're going to continue to love each other. We're not going to tear each other up, you know, just, you know, tearing each other down. He said, Paul, to the Galatian believers, don't devour one another, but to love one another. And I pray that we understand that being a part of a fellowship is such a tremendous blessing, and it is. I can't explain or express, words can't express, how much of a blessing you guys are to me, to my family. Do you realize that 80% of pastors' wives have said that they feel like the church has been very negative and had a negative effect on their family? And I can tell you, Sue and my family, we don't believe that at all. We have been very privileged and blessed to be a part of this church family. And every day we're thankful for it. And we pray that we would just continue to move forward in unity and that you would be blessed in being a part of this church family as we grow together in the love of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of him. 
and that we would do that in the heart of thanksgiving. There's a lot of people that don't have that. We're going to talk a little bit on Sunday that Jesus went from synagogue to synagogue, you know, there in Galilee. And then he goes in a synagogue where he grew up in Nazareth, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue. In other words, he went to church. It was a priority. He didn't have the attitude, well, I'm the Lord. I don't have to go to church. (laughs) Or I know more than the rabbi does or the pastor does. He knew bunches more. But he went. And know this, that Jesus, he loves the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He stands in the midst of the church, Revelation chapter 1. And he loves this church. And it's his church. And he desires for us to dwell together in unity. And there's blessing and benefit when we're together in unity, dwelling with one another. Two guys really messed up on the same night. On the night that Jesus was arrested. Judas and Peter. And I think about how Judas isolated himself. I know that there's the sovereignty of God and, you know, it was, you know, or, you know, that Judas was going to betray Jesus to set things in motion for the cross. I understand that. But Judas, he isolated himself. He left the group, never to return. Peter, he denied the Lord. And he wept bitterly. But what did Peter do? He kept with the guys. He said, let's go fishing. He didn't isolate himself. And the end results, I just, I just think about that. That don't isolate yourself. But even in those difficult times, you know, when we feel our failings and inadequacies and we fall short and, oh, I said something I shouldn't have said. I, you know, I'm not what I should be. Don't isolate yourself. And that's one of the reasons that I have seen over the last 24 years of ministry why people isolate themselves. Oh, I just, you know, have these high expectations and, and I messed up or I shouldn't have done this. Don't isolate yourself. It's good for the brethren to dwell together in unity and to be with other brothers and sisters. And there is blessing and strength. Here, as the precious oil runs down the beard, the beard of Aaron is talking about refreshment and blessing and the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord commanded the blessings, life forevermore. And then as we finish the songs of the ascents, here in Psalm 134, bless, behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. It is good as we are servants of the Lord. It is good um, to, number one, be in fellowship. We've already just talked about that in the house of the Lord. And second of all, to praise him, to praise him. To lift up our hands in the sanctuary. Oh, bless, bless thee, the Lord. There was a song. I don't know if some of you remember that. And I pray that's a song that's in our hearts every time that we gather here. Oh, it's so good to be here. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's learn of him together. Let's serve the Lord together. Let's see what the Lord will do. Because we dwell together in unity. One purpose, one mind. Listen, the world's going to hell. The world is in darkness. And the Lord has chosen us.
to be a light in the dark world. So let's keep our eyes on him. And let's be in prayer. Let's continue to worship him. Whatever the Lord has gifted you, wherever he has given you opportunities, wherever you're at, wherever you're planted, the Lord wants to do an incredible work in your life to be a light. And you know what? You may not see all the fruit right now. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see fruit. Some plant, some water, but God gets the increase. Amen? He gets the glory. For you moms that are raising your children in the ways of the Lord, there's going to be fruit. For you grandparents that are ministering to your grandchildren, there's going to be fruit. For you who are just encouraging the co-workers, neighbors, you know, discipling a person, praying for them, there's going to be fruit. But let's be a blessing to others. And let's keep moving forward in the things that the Lord has for us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these songs of the ascents, these special psalms here. And I thank you that we can go over them. And, Lord, just consider some things that are very important for us. Lord, to be ones that I thank you for this church family. I thank you that we can be here together Wednesdays and Sundays. And what a privilege it is to do that. I thank you for the love that is here. And even as Paul would pray for the churches, that you're known for your love, but may your love abound more and more in your faith and your hope. And that's my prayer for us. That, Lord, that we keep our eyes on you and remember that time is short. And eternity is real. And that we would be a light and a witness. And may the world know that we are your disciples for our love for one another. We forget all the flash and the pan and the hype and all of that stuff. It's just stuff. But what is lasting is the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Word of God working in our lives. And I do pray that we would grow together. It is good for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Just as they all came up to Jerusalem, they said, oh, this is good. And it's good for us to be here. Lord, I pray for this weekend as there are going to be those who are going to be traveling, that you keep them safe. And Lord, that um, as we enter into summer, that Lord, do you keep us and Lord, we look forward to so many things. But Lord, day by day, spending time with you, being sensitive to your leading, continue to provide for us and our families. Keep us strong in you, Lord. Help us in our trials. Guide us where we need wisdom and direction and provide for us, Lord. May we just rest in what you're doing in our lives and know that you're going to work through the power of God Uh, Lord, you're all-powerful, all-knowing. You know everything about us. And we can trust you. And we can rest in that. And Lord, I thank you that you have put your love upon us. And Lord, may it be the love of Christ that motivates us every single day to bring glory and honor to you, to serve you, to be a witness for you. So Lord, I thank you for tonight. I pray that you take everybody home safely. Bless our day tomorrow and the rest of our week till we gather again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.
Amen.